I once was told if you see the preacher look at his watch or look at the clock, you're supposed to not take that seriously. <laughs> that really isn't a warning, I hope. <laughs> uh, let me begin in prayer, please. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I always have to collect all my papers. One of the most wonderful things that I have learned in the last several years is how my God, who is an amazing and wonderful weaver of scripture and events and conversations. And one of the things that happened last Sunday is the verse that, the second verse that Kelvin read, because you had used it last Sunday. I'm reading that verse and I'm thinking, hello, here we are twice. So that's a good sign. I need to tell you that this is not going to be a very outlined kind of uh, presentation. It's going to be what I would call almost chaotic in the first half. <laughs> I'm just really warning you. I feel like everything's going in the first half this way, this way, this way, this way. So you need to understand that's kind of what's going to happen. And then somewhere in the middle, it's going to start in a lin linear fashion. And so for those of you who really are more comfortable with that, hang on, we'll get there. <laughs> but it's going to seem that way because I'm going to give you a lot of background information that's from a lot of different areas. But it's important, I think, for this particular passage. Um, my prayer for this is that we all learn and that we all worship as we go through some of this information. So the word for the day is listen. Now, we've had several services where there was the, the word or the phrase for the day that Kevin has done. So I picked up on that. You know, the word for the day is listen. Um, I'm going to begin with a lot of foundational information. So, because I like words, I'm going to start with Webster's Dictionary that will tell us that the word here is described, number one, to perceive or sense sounds through stimulation of auditory nerves in the ear by sound waves. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> um, and number two, to listen to and consider. And then listen by Webster's Dictionary to make a conscious effort to hear, to attend closely so as to hear, to give, uh, number two, to give heed, to pay attention. Do you hear the additional weight in that second definition? There are a lot of ways to begin to listen to our Lord. Usually the first and most often used manner to listen is his own word. It is a river of wisdom, truth, and life. We cannot finish plumbing its depths. There is always 
a life-giving stream of truth. Adam, the smartest thing Adam did was to hear and answer God. A few things from Psalms. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them, and you listen to their cry. From his temple he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. And that's just a few. I, I could spend the whole time giving, giving you those kind of texts. Those are just a few from just the first section of Psalms. It's amazing how much God listens to us. Our God, our Yahweh, our Lord, is a listening God. And our Jesus listens. Let's take a quick look at Jesus' listening skills. There were the men who brought the paralyzed man. Jesus saw his faith, said his sins were forgiven. Some of the leaders of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. The following verse begins, after that verse, the following verse begins, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? I don't know about you, but knowing their thoughts is really close listening. <laughs> Later, at Levi, the tax collector's house, the teachers of the law asked the disciples why they were there, etc., etc. On hearing this, Jesus replied and went on. He healed the deaf and mute man. The Pharisees accused Jesus of being demonic. And the following verse says, Jesus knew their thoughts. After healing and forgiving the paralyzed man who was lowered through the ceiling, you remember that story? The teachers of the law were thinking to themselves, this is blasphemy. Yet, quote, immediately Jesus knew what they were thinking in their hearts. The last thing that I noticed that Jesus said specifically, this is in Matthew. By the way, I do have all my references for these things. So if any of you are curious or want to hang on to one or look one up again, see me afterwards. I'll be happy to tell you. Um, immediately, Jesus knew what they were thinking in their hearts. And then he says, Jesus says, the Pharisees and teachers avoid the word of God for the sake of their tradition. And that's in quotes. And then Jesus said to the crowd, listen and understand. And I'm going to make another shift. At Jesus' baptism by John, a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now that's pretty familiar. At his mountaintop transfiguration with Peter, John, and James there, the voice from the bright cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus is worth listening to. 
The response to the passage we're going to be looking at has often been one of great confusion and even what some think is a Jesus that is rude, uncaring, disconnected, and distracted. Now, I don't know about you, but if you love Jesus like I love Jesus, that I, I, I cannot tolerate that. He is not a rude Jesus. He's not a disconnected dis- Jesus, distracted and uncaring. And so that's the passage we will eventually be looking at more closely. I think it is just the opposite. In our culture, the opposite of rude, I think, might most likely be polite. Jesus was more than polite. He was kind. He is kind. Time after time in the Gospels, when we see Jesus healing people, there's one word that is most often repeated. Quote, he healed all who were ill. Now, most of you know that when we talk about crowds, some of them were really crowds, like 5,000 plus other people that were women and children. No, I'm not saying all crowds were that big. One was only 3,000 men and women and children. Uh, All, all. That's our Jesus. Everyone. I think that's what all means. There is a similarity between the Jericho Road blind men who shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and tried to quiet them, but they shouted all the louder. Jesus asked them what they wanted him to do for them, and the response was, Lord, we want our sight. And again, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, the human touch. During, this is another example here. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on these people, for these people. No food, three days, long distance home, and they will collapse on the way. Compassion. Not a just now compassion, but a thinking ahead compassion. He cared. He had compassion for those folks. Then there was <coughs> excuse me. Then there was a time when Jesus, quote, withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Just after he heard that his friend and disciple and prophet John the Baptizer had been decapitated. The crowds followed him on foot from the towns and, quote again, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, remember where he was headed, a solitary place? When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick while he was, no doubt, heart sick himself. I want to ask if I could go back. Jesus, who had compassion for you in that circumstance. 
It only seems rude in our culture that Jesus does not answer in the passage we're going to be looking at. In that culture, it would have been astonishing if he had responded to the people that will be around him. Rabbis did not talk to women. A scholar rabbi of Jerusalem about 200 years prior to Jesus' birth, in his book of Proverbs and Wisdom Precepts, uh, I think wisdom should be in quotes there, um, quotation, a man's spite is preferable to a woman's kindness. Women give rise to shame and reproach. Well, okay then. To women, rabbis did not speak. Even today in the Middle East, in conservative areas, men and women do not talk to strangers across the gender barrier. In public, rabbis did not talk to female members of their own families. You all probably know the story in John 4 of the Samaritan woman at a community well. It's well known. <laughs> it's well known. I just noticed that, actually. <laughs> Oh my. Verse 27 reports, um, just then, it, this is in John 4, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you wish or why are you talking with her? This is significant because those questions would have been their way of asking Jesus if he wanted them to get rid of her for them, for him. So that's a <laughs> kind of information that I wanted you to have as background. But we're going to look at Matthew 15, 21 to 28. And it's a relatively short passage with a lot going on. So 21 is a very short verse. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the regions of Tyre and Sidon. She is sometimes, oh, she, there's a woman in this passage. She is sometimes called a Syrophoenician or Tyrophoenician or a Canaanite. There's a lot of words because this is an area with a lot of towns, some villages and a lot of towns that really aren't very far from each other. Um, so they're called a lot of things. As readers and listeners today, we need to be always aware <laughs> of the ever-present community in which gospel events occur. The offstage cultural community that carries the assumptions, the habits, and the prejudices of the times. Quote, people from Galilee were bilinguals. Some were, is there such a thing as trilingual? I don't know. Some had several languages because it was a big melting pot. People from Galilee who were rejected by the religious and intellectual elites of their time. Now, you remember that you've got Judah holding in it, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, all those uh, towns that we're familiar with. And above that was Galilee. And above that was Samaria. And now we're up in the Tyre and Sidon part. And now we're up where... Today, it's Syria. So the Syrophoenician still fits. 
so that you know geographically what we're talking about. Set cluster at the time of villages and towns. Anyway, back to Galilee, which is where Jesus was originally from. He was rejected by the religious and intellectual elites of, G of his time. From the start, Jesus' neighborhood became a mark against him, and you may have heard, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Most likely, they spoke Hebrew, which Jesus knew well, Aramaic, which was probably spoken by Jesus and the disciples, and most surely the widest regional language, and Greek, probably, for many people and others. Now, of course, you know I don't know this. I just look at what the scholars tell me. But that makes sense. Let's talk about the setting. Mark says Jesus could not keep his presence a secret. There were lots of people. It was a big crowd. There is one scene and several locations. Now, when I say that, I'm going to try to finish setting this up. It's one scene, but you need to somehow try to understand the crowds. I have no idea how big it was, how big the crowd was. I'm assuming it's probably not a 5,000 one because they usually go away for that. But what I want to try to do is think for a minute of this and all the way out to the chairs, uh, the benches, and the shrubbery, and the curb to the parking lot. Just kind of think about that. Assume it's a small crowd, but imagine this, people standing, probably a couple hundred maybe, in this space. And there's Jesus, let's assume he's here, and crowds all around him, so that you have a sense now, not only is there a crowd, but I want to talk about locations of certain people in this particular passage. Now, it's speculative, but I think it'll help. Here's verse 22. A Canaanite woman, see, I prepared you for that. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. So here's scene number one. This woman is crying out. There's no response in this verse. There's no healing in this verse. But did you hear what she said? The woman uses the, first of all, the plea language of a traditional beggar. Have mercy on me. This has its own double echo, and I referred to it earlier, of the Jericho blind guys. They also used that kind of a, of a statement. They began, or, or he began, with Jesus, son of David, followed by the plea phrase. She started her crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Um, if she had not said son of David, it's very likely she would have been heard and maybe even thought herself of the word sir. But she said son of David, and that changes the Lord from sir to Lord. 
The word Kiri would probably have been perceived as sir if it had not been in that context. So at this point in this story, we have a Jewish person, Jesus, and a Gentile person. We have a man and we have a woman. Until, um, up until the palm branches, you know, Palm Sunday, um, a week before the death of our Lord, um, there's the shout of the coming kingdom of our father David. But you don't usually hear that. Now they know their own tradition, the Jewish people. So this is no surprise to anybody. But outside of that, there are only a very few places, including the ones I just mentioned, where son of David is something that another person says about Jesus. And these three are very rare exceptions. Jesus had been referred to as a teacher, a rabbi, sometimes even a prophet throughout the Gospels. Now, of course, we have good knowledge of the fact that he's the son of David. We know that. But I'm talking about that time and that place. From early ministry days, a line of what I called, a call, declared recognition. Declared recognition. It extends from Jesus as teacher prophet to Jesus, as we're beginning to see, as son of David. And then... My favorite, the one who says at the end of the story, surely he was the son of God. Now what I love about that is not only was one of these people in the middle section of claiming son of David, not only was she not Jewish, but this last declarer, and recognition also was not Jewish. Remember the centurion? Verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. This is where people get very upset. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. So I'm going to go back to this imaginary crowd. And I am thinking, based on what not only I've read, but what the scholars have said is that just imagine for a minute that the woman crying out is somewhere over there. Remember, there's people everywhere, and they're murmuring and they're talking, and some of them may be asking for Jesus' attention. Who knows? But let's say she's about there because she's crying out. And over here, let's say there's a group of, loose group of disciples. And I don't think we can assume there's just 12 because there were often more than 12. But even if there were only 12, there's a group of disciples, let's say, over there, and they're talking amongst each other. And Jesus is here, and there's a lot of people. And it's kind of a mess. The disciples came to him, and this is where it really gets hard, and urged him, sent her away. So they got closer. Came doesn't mean they're standing right in front of him, but they got closer and could be heard. Send her away. She keeps crying out after us. Now I can imagine her continuing to cry out 
to the disciples because she's figured out that there's that relationship and kind of roughly who's who here in this crowd. The disciples urge Jesus to send her away. So here's the disciples telling the master what to do. Uh, like Dallas Willard, who's a fam relatively famous uh, author and uh, teacher, Pre apprentices are supposed to be learning. At least that's what all of us think. I like to call myself an apprentice of Jesus. But the disciples are telling the master what to do. Send her away. And I think that's a bad sign. Strike one against her. She's a woman. The disciples' response here did not include asking Jesus directly any more than the Samaritan woman at the well. But they took upon themselves their culturally determined and typical response. Send her away. That was certainly in keeping with some, any woman, bothering a rabbi and causing disturbance. They felt they were right. They felt they should have done that and, and protected Jesus. Jesus often asks questions in his interactions to deflect and protect himself, to reflect and move on to given scriptural tradition or the time for the time psalms or prophets, to learn the real intent of the questioner, and more reasons that he asks questions. Here he has the two audiences, <laughs> the woman crying out, each of whom can benefit from close listening, and the disciples who have their point of view. Two separate communities empowering what each are going to say or are saying. Verse 24, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now he's talking to the disciples who have their own cultural values. Strike one, she was a woman. Strike two, she's a Gentile. When the second shoe, okay sandal, drops, Jesus refers to being sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. We know how extensive is the meaning carried by that metaphor of sheep as God's people, the chosen ones in the Old Testament, as well as extended further by Jesus during his life and also in the New Testament because we too are his sheep. It's a wonderful metaphor that works all the way through scripture. The fact that he was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel does not mean he cannot rescue other sheep. One is mission and the covenant, the other is mercy. We're part of the mercy part. He is answering the disciples' deep prejudices, which are that they, the chosen ones, the chosen people, are not to be sullied by inclusion of Gentiles. They didn't get it. 
The previous parable that the disciples did not understand, the previous parable in the text, was the discussion of the laws about being clean and unclean, you know, dishes and, and, and one's body and all of that kind of stuff, the laws and rules of the Jewish people. As Jewish people from birth upward and now following Jesus and seeing his character revealed day after day, they would surely know of the law's emphasis on care for the widow and orphan, both of which might be at risk right there in the crying woman. The disciples would most certainly know the story which Jesus used to explain his ministry the first time in his local synagogue in Nazareth. In that time, he read the Messianic passage from Isaiah 61, including him being anointed to release the oppressed. And he said to the people and other rabbis in the synagogue, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, that he was anointed to do these things. And that's in Luke. The parallel between this woman and the widow in the story in the Old Testament, the prophet Elijah's visit to the region of Sidon, as in Tyre and Sidon, would be obvious to their memory as well. Or maybe not. They're apprentices. While the disciples told Jesus what to do, again, back to this setting, while the disciples told Jesus what to do, the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. Now she is up front with him. <clears throat> Scene three is this. Her position seems to indicate a closer and more proximate way to hear his answers or comments. Now the woman is close enough to hear, and she knows his language. She need not cry out from the distance or to the ones who might have helped her. She further humbles and minimizes her request in two ways. One, she drops to her knees in front of him. And two, she pleads with three pleading words that are really reminiscent of Peter's when he was doing the walk on water thing. Briefly, Lord, save me. Perhaps, like us as we read scripture, she had heard and listened and knew that Jesus healed Gentiles. That centurion is a good example, right? No, not the one that I mentioned, but there's another centurion who, never mind. Okay, verse 26. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And most people get to that person and go, What? This response would likely have been disappointing. <laughs> that might be an understatement. In this third scene, the disciples hear Jesus' concrete expression of the theology of their narrow-minded selves. It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. That's what they probably and their culture would have said and thought. They knew who they were. They want her gone. 
The verbalization is authentic to their attitudes and feelings, but shocking when put into words and thrown in the face of a desperate feeling woman, and acutely embarrassing to hear and see one's deepest prejudices verbalized and de demonstrated. It is the opposite of the kindness, the compassion, the tenderness of Jesus. It is what the disciples would say. And Jesus allows himself to say that, not for them, but as if. Verse 27 says, yes, it is, Lord, she said. Look who's going to respond. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. So I consider this scene four. The woman's statement both contradicts him and repeats the request. Yes, it is, Lord, she had said. I think that's just a whole bunch of courage myself. Because she already knows who he is. Yes, it is, Lord. She's uh, contradicting him. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. The woman's statement both contradicts him and repeats the request. Each time she speaks, she speaks correctly. Lord. And she seems to know whose table it is and may even allow that some think she is a dog. That was a, um, a word often used for others. A common eating practice still true in the Middle East and many other areas of the globe. And you guys are all so bright and, and well-traveled that you're going to know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. It was not our contemporary use of chopsticks, knives, forks, or napkins. But the closest, easiest utensils, fingers. And that's still true all over the world. They also used chunks of bread to wipe their hands. I think that's very clever. And then would often fling it away, and the house dogs could then eat it. And based on some research I did about Greek and the words, don't ever call me on this, <laughs> uh, they used words that were diminutive. So there were probably puppies in general, house dogs, puppies. And the Gentiles would not be taking bread from children, but would be taking it instead, as can Israel, from the master's table. The Gentiles would not be taking bread from children, but would be taking it instead, as can Israel, from the master's table. 28 says, Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So Jesus' response is appreciation for her faith. And of course, he heals her. And there's good news for the woman. If the disciples were still wondering about the interchange or failing to get it entirely, if there was a contest, I'm sorry, that woman passed and the disciples just did not. She appears to accept her standing as one in opposition to the Jews and notes that the little dogs get fed. The crumbs dropped by the children, after all, are intended for the dogs. Jesus' comparison is not rejected 
but carried one step further, which modifies the entire scene. If the dogs eat the crumbs under the table, they are fed at the same time as the children and do not have to wait, as implied by the affirmation in the verse. Children are fed first while raining down come the throwaway scraps. Also in the diminutive, so crumbs would be a better translation. She understands that Jesus is Lord and continues the dialogue with the faith that she has. Her faith is believing in his lordship, in his compassion, and in his ability to heal. It is a great faith. I'm going to end with a blessing from Scripture. It's a blessing from Jesus. He is not only an excellent listener, but he's worth listening to. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it and to hear what you hear, but not hear it. Listen then. Amen.